0: This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcast.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kibalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Thank um, this week's trivu both deal with, I might say, leniencies arising out of an intermarriage. Um, so we'll talk about what that means. In Evan Ezer, um Bet uh, 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 Simen written in 5723 to Rabbi Ben Sion Goldswag of Montreal, uh, Rabbi Moshe addresses a question of a woman who comes to, presumably to Montreal uh, from London uh, and wants to uh, to get an, a, 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 a sure that she that she can marry. Uh, so she states that she was married twice in England, but both marriages were to non-Jews and therefore she does not need to produce evidence of the gift because halachically she, uh, she is unmarried. The question is whether, we're, whether one, ha- uh, one says, this, well, she says she was married and now, right, so therefore we should require proof that, um, that her marriages did not in any way make her ineligible to remarry. So Ramosha says that uh, all women begin life. With the presumption, uh, what he calls a cheskat a presumption that they are unmarried, and that presumption continues until something happens to change it. Now, in this case, nothing has happened to change it because, from a halachic perspective, the woman says, "I was born not married, and I'm still not married, and I was never married." The fact that something else happened, um, which is not halachically kedushin, does not undermine that chesaka. And the ravush says, since we're dealing with a chazaka, we're just we're dealing with a presumption based on a natural condition. So it doesn't matter that she intermarried and that might damage her credibility because the reason we believe her is not because she's credible. The reason we believe her is because they're, uh, right, we're not actually believing her. We're just stating is that we look at her and say, well, there's no reason to think she's married. So she is not married. Uh, she was never married. Um, so therefore, um, right, it's certainly clear that uh, we have enough evidence Rav Moshe says right, right the, the presumption, which counts as evidence to make the decision if that were the only if that were all the evidence available. But the question is that well, maybe you should still send a message to England and find out uh, who her husbands were that's right that, that should be findable out and then established uh, by means other than chazaka, um, that verify the Khazaka and make sure that the first two husbands were in fact. Um, not Jewish. so Moshe's answer to this is Al kol panim He says even though I think that if there were no evidence uh, available if she came from a you know, from a culture where, uh, which had simply vanished and so there was no way to verify uh, who, right, who, uh, who her, her husbands were uh, then that would be fine but nonetheless now right he says you have to investigate um, and therefore he says you did a really good thing read, affidavit. Uh, that he made her sign a, a declaration that her prior husbands were not Jewish under penalty of, of perjury and therefore he says since you've done everything that is in your capacity to uh, to clarify to, to clarify so you can write you can um, perform condition for her because you've done everything you can so the um, all right so now the the um, that Rav says on condition that she's going to keep nida, and that's a whole right, halachic issue going on, uh, the extent to whether it's a mitzvah or not to perform condition for people, or whether it's Lifna either, to perform condition for a couple that won't keep nida. That is not our issue. Um, our issue here is whether Rav held that position consistently or not. Um, so the question we have is based on the rules we set up we set out previously. So, okay, um, is right, there's a chazaka that's sufficient to establish it. Is there a Hamatsui that of people who set themselves, who declare themselves to be non-Jews or actually Jewish? Uh, unlikely, if the Women? Have, is there a mere of women who were actually married to Jews and come and, and admit being married but claim that their husbands were non-Jews? Probably not. So we're just dealing with chashash. So we're dealing with chashash. So then we say, you know, then really, it's quite, it should be quite a bother to, uh, to investigate. So why should you have to investigate? And secondly, it's delaying her remarriage. So... Um, so that should be right. So that should also override it. So why does it sit with our rules? Uh, so the answer, I think, here is: um, first of all, here are, that the cases of Moshe said that you don't have to investigate when there's a tircha. Those were talking about when the consumer themselves, uh, when the consumer itself themselves had to had to had to investigate. Uh, but here we're dealing with the question whether the ba'iten has to investigate, and maybe the baitin has a higher duty of uh, clarifying everything possible than a private individual. That makes a lot of sense uh, to me. Um, so then the only question is whether we would consider this Egun, uh, in that case Ramosha said that even the beitin is not allowed to, uh, to further investigate. So the answer is in this case, Ramosha didn't say send a message to England, right? He could have done that, but he says is you've done everything you can do, be, um, by having the woman sign an affidavit under penalty of perjury. So that does not involve delay at all. It just imposes a du- an additional obligation on the woman, which takes no time. And that's really to fulfill the beitin's obligation. So I think that we can add in that new rule for the Moshe's that for the Bezin specifically, um, the standard of right, the Bezin can even impose a Tzirchah that doesn't um, involve time. Uh, maybe it doesn't involve delayed in marriage, not clear whether the Bezin could impose it, a duty of investigation on a party that um, that costs money, but um, but just the bother the Bezin can impose um, and in this case there's no contradiction to the ego and shiva because one of the marriage is not at all delayed by having her signed affidavit okay so that's case number one uh, case number two this is evan ezer gimel Aleph, uh written in 5727 through mordechai gifter uh the reshiva of tells um and the question is you have a uh a marriage that um broke up and the wife went off and remarried civilly a non-Jew, and now the husband wants a hetanay rabbanim. He wants a permission to uh, commit bigamy um, in violation of the cherem And Rav Moshe says that um, he thinks you don't even need may rabbanim for that case. Again, this is a wholly separate topic. When Rav Moshe thinks you need may uh when he thinks you don't, uh, but he says something really very important. Uh, I think it's a it's both a morally and a pragmatically uh, critical point. The Moshe says, even when you don't require to allow the husband to remarry, you have to write a get and you have to give the get uh, as a presumptive good to the woman. Um, because that way, if she eventually marries a Jew, then we don't have to worry about her children being mamzerim. So even if you don't want to do it for her, but it's good for the Jewish people that children not be among uh, And in general, Moshe sets out a, an, on, an ongoing principle, of, I think all the way through his trivot, that whenever you allow, you can't allow a husband to remarry without ensuring that the wife has a can come in uh, capacity to remarry um so you do everything possible you try to give, get get to get if you uh if you fail to give the get then you do a get sequay and when you're worried that a get sequay doesn't work whether because of the famous position of the wrist that it doesn't work until she acquires it uh, or because you're worried that it isn't actually exclusive in that case so you also have to hold the get in escrow uh, until the um until the woman agrees to uh, to pick it up uh, this is not really on our point of actual delivery, but I think it's a really important point of emotion. Like I mentioned mention now that Ramosha really makes it absolute principle. As far as I can tell, you cannot, uh, that whenever you're going to free a, a, to free a husband to remarry, you have to simultaneously ensure that the wife will not be left in a guna and, and unable to remarry. Um, and that is an ongoing problem of the uh, rogue batidin who don't follow Rav Moshe on this and free uh, free husbands to remarry without... Uh, freeing the wives and thereby leave them uh, horribly vulnerable. Um, okay, then um says, okay, the second issue is, well, how do we know that she remarried non jew So he says, So he says, okay, so now the reason that you can allow the husband to remarry is that if the wife has remarried, and we presume that she slept with someone else voluntarily, therefore, so she's now forbidden to the husband, and Ramosha thinks that Rav Moshe's decree doesn't apply um, Two cases where the wife is now forbidden to the husband. Although again, he makes the moral point that it doesn't mean you can just allow the husband to remarry, you have to ensure that he allows the wife to remarry at the same time. So the question is, how do you know? The relationship says that if the husband can produce a, uh, a, marriage, right, a marriage registry showing that the wife is remarried, that's sufficient because we have a presumption that if they were formally married, that they uh, had intimate relations with the person in a way that would create a prohibition uh, on, the, on the original husband, right, she committed adultery. Um, he says, ah, but what if they broke up already? And so now you have to worry maybe the marriage uh, was never consummated. Um, so he says, so you can still rely on the court said that they were married and that and the fact that they were that they were married, it creates the presumption, even if they're not currently married. Um, Okay, as opposed to evidence of, you know, which, which is where uh, Batsin are often stuck in much worse situations where there is no marriage contract, there's just cohabitation. So we're not going to get into that issue now uh, at all. Um, so he says, right, um, but... Um, because, but, you know, whether they're still married or not, so he's telling you, look, I think if they were once married, even you know, if they're now separated, that would be enough. But you could find out if they're still married, so he says. So if whether she's still, I think I'm reading this correctly. The grammar is a little complicated. Uh, if she's still the um, the wife of the the wife of the non-Jew, this is something that you can verify by investigation without any tircha, without need any, without any bother. So he says, look, I don't think this is necessary at all. I think we have enough uh, enough evidence, uh, and you don't really need to investigate it further. So why don't we need to investigate it further? Uh, maybe it's not even a cheshash. He thinks because it's an absolute truth. Uh, think the, the fact that he thinks it really makes no um, probative difference whether she's still married or not, because the point, the reason for the heter for the husband is not that she is married, but that she was married. Nonetheless, he says, right, even though I don't see any need for this, since it's possible to, um, it's possible to verify, why why not investigate? Uh, okay, so we ask, why not investigate? The reason not to investigate is that it delays the husband's heter. So the answer, I think, is that since it get has to be done anyway, uh, he doesn't think this kind of investigation will delay the husband's remarriage uh, at all. Or maybe he thinks that since this is a case where the husband is married, uh, it's just a question of allowing a second wife, so he doesn't think that this counts as iguna de gavra. Uh, that this counts as uh, imprisoning the uh, as imprisoning the husband, so that he doesn't mind a minor delay in husband's capacity uh, to remarry. Okay, thank you, and we'll see you for episode six. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.